Good morning. I just full disclosure, I'm getting a request down the front row for a long sermon. Isn't that, isn't that what you just said? You had hopeful look in your eyes. You said long sermon. So no, we're we're kind of changing up the order of service here today. But uh, let me let me just say something. I got some good news for some of you. Um, if you really, really, really like high humidity and you really, really like temperatures that are 96, 97, 98 degrees, you're going to love this week. Okay? So that's your good news for some of you. And uh, the others of you, just hang on. This week is only a few days long. Okay? And it'll be different. Glad to have you here today. Um, to celebrate, to worship, to fellowship together. Uh, that's, that's what this is all about. That's what Sundays have been all about ever since the resurrection of Christ. You know, they started worshiping on the first day of the week. And that was part of the reason was in celebration of the resurrection of Christ. I want to start off by telling you a story. I read about a man who one evening was sitting in his living room and the doorbell rang. He got up from his chair and he went to the front door and he opened it up and much to his surprise, he saw a seven-foot cockroach standing in front of him. <laughs> and before he could say anything and deal with the shock he was experiencing, he got punched in the face by the cockroach and the cockroach scampered away into the darkness. The next night, he's sitting there in his living room. The doorbell rings. He's like, what? No, there's no way. He went to the door. He opened the door. Seven-foot cockroach. This time, the cockroach reaches in, grabs him by the hair, pulls his head down, and kicks him in the face a couple of times and chokes him and scampers away. The next night comes. The guy's sitting in his living room. The doorbell rings. He goes over to the door, and with some hesitation, he turns the knob and opens the door. And sure enough, there's a seven-foot cockroach again, and this time, the cockroach jumps through the doorway, lands on top of him, and starts choking him and slapping him in the face and poking him in the eyes and then jumps up and down on his chest three or four times and then scampers out the door and disappears. This time the man, he's pretty beat up. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out his phone and calls 911. An ambulance comes and gets him and takes him to the ER. And, and while the doctor is, is attending to his needs in the ER, the doctor asks him, what happened? And so the guy goes ahead and explains about this seven-foot cockroach. And the doctor thought for a moment and said, yeah, there's a nasty bug going around. Some of you were going, oh, even before I got the line out. 
All right. You know, I was at a fork in the road early in my life where I was trying to decide, do I want to be a stand-up comic (laughs) or a preacher? And I decided to go with the latter. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a reason I'm not a comic. You know, the reality of the matter is, and part of the reason why I wanted to share that goofy story is that there are some of you that are gathered here today and some of you who are watching online that feel like you can relate to that guy. Not so much in that you have encountered a gigantic cockroach, but in regards to the fact that you feel like you've had the wind knocked out of you, you feel like you've been choked, you feel like you've been kicked around, you feel like life has been pretty rough here lately. And that's why we have the title of today's message. Today's message is just a standalone message. It's squeezed in between two different four-part series messages. But today's message just stands by itself, and it's simply entitled, Life is Hard. And so I, I intentionally started off with the goofy story and with this picture that you probably already saw when you picked up your bulletin. Kind of a cute picture that many of us have seen when we're giving our dog a bath, right? You know, because we know, you know, that they'll smell good and all of this after the bath, but they don't enjoy the experience. At least most of the small dogs like this one don't enjoy the experience of a bath. And so I I intentionally wanted to include the story, include the picture, because they're kind of lighthearted. Because the reality of the matter is, this is a pretty heavy subject that we're going to be talking about today. And there's not going to be a whole lot of joking and stuff like that, you know, being told. Because I want to hit this message, this topic, in the way that the Bible talks about it, you know, straight on. And so there's not going to be a whole lot of, you know, cheeriness or giddiness in what it is that we're looking at here today. For some of you, I don't need to expound on the fact that life is hard because you already know that full well yourself. You come in here bruised and battered because of some of the stuff that you've been encountering in in your life and you've discovered for yourself. If you've lived any length of time at all, you know life is hard. But the reality of the matter is you don't have to live any length of time to know that. Because even people that are very young can know that. I wasn't even 24 years old. I was still 23 when I was diagnosed with cancer and where they um, did a pretty significant surgery on me uh, because they needed to figure out how spread, how advanced the cancer was. And part of this was the type of surgery they would do back in the 1980s that they don't do in 2021, they haven't done the surgery for quite a while now, but, but they opened me up completely. And they removed my spleen. That was the only way to be able to know if there was cancer in the spleen. Because back then, they couldn't biopsy it. They just removed it. And they went through every inch of my intestines to see if there was any cancer there. Because they already knew that above my diaphragm, there was cancer. They were just trying to figure out, is it below your diaphragm? And following that, I went through weeks of radiation treatments. 
and they <clears throat> hadn't fine-tuned, uh, and probably those that go through, you know, chemo and radiation today, and you get the anti-nauseous medicine, you probably would say, well, they still haven't fine-tuned that medicine today. Well, I can't speak to that, but based in the 1980s, they certainly had not fine-tuned the anti-nauseous medicine. And they were radiating in spots, mainly up here, but some down in this area where they had removed my spleen. And that included my stomach. And I have never spent so many hours every day, you know, with the dry heaves and all of this going on. You know, I was so sick through all of that. And here I am 30-some years later, and now I find myself dealing with the side effects of the kind of radiation treatment they use, which they don't use anymore. You know, and they, they have decided that that's what contributed to my heart attack and some of the other issues that I've had in recent years. But I was only 23 years old. And here I was going through all of that stuff. And then it was a matter of being in remission two years, and the cancer came back. I, I was 26, barely 26. And this time I was stage four. And they had two, during that year, they had two chest opening surgeries on either side where they had to go into my chest because that's where they saw the shadows and the growths and, and had to do biopsies and stuff like that. I went through months of chemotherapy. I spent the majority of 1987 laid up in a bed. I spent two full months in a hospital during that time. The most painful day in my life I've ever experienced was in September of 1987. I had blood clots in my lungs. And... Um, Woke up real early in the morning, three or so in the morning, and every breath I took, and it didn't matter how shallow the breath was, every breath I took, it felt like two dozen knives were being stuck in my chest. And there was, there was blood clots all through my, my lungs. And Colette called the hospital. They immediately wanted her to get me in as quick as possible, and that was a miserable week. The hardest week, physically, as far as pain goes, that I ever experienced. And I was only 26 years old. And so the point that, that I want to make right up front is, is that even though sometimes we think about how hard life is and, and the hardships and the struggles and stuff we go through, you know, and health issues and stuff like that. A lot of times we automatically start thinking, okay, well, that kind of stuff, that's toward people who are getting older in life. But that's not true. People can be very young and can discover firsthand for themselves, whether it be physical issues like what I just talked about that I was dealing with, or it be emotional issues and, and all that are going on in their family. And they learn firsthand how hard life is on top of all that we got COVID you know and we've been going through not quite 18 months of COVID and who knows what uh, um, some of these strands of COVID that they're talking about now you know if they're going to extend things you know 
uh, months more or not. I mean, that kind of remains to be seen. But uh, we have gone through over 17 months of this now. And uh, that has impacted uh, many people adversely in any of a number of ways. Obviously, people that have contracted COVID and have been sick, and especially to the point of being hospitalized and, and some of that, which uh, maybe includes uh, some that are here today or some that are watching online. Uh, but maybe it wasn't you directly, maybe it was a family member, or maybe it was someone who kind of has recovered from it, but only kind of, because they're still dealing with the effects of it. You know, you know the ordeal that this has been, and it varies from family to family. In fact, for some families, the way it has impacted their family isn't so much directly health-wise, it's employment. It's like if you're a small business owner, and you really... Um, rely a lot on walk-in business and stuff like that, you know, COVID perhaps has really done a number in order to be able to keep your head above water during the last year and a half. And so maybe, maybe that's been the issue, has been employment, or maybe you were working for a small business owner and, and during that time you lost your job. You see, there's any of a number of ways that these last 18 months have impacted people. You know, in my family, we haven't had to deal directly with COVID. But it was exactly one year ago today that my wife's mom died. And it wasn't COVID-related. It involved some other issues that she had been struggling with. But it was in the center of the context of COVID and visitation limitations and all of this that was going on. And so here we were following this day a year ago, planning a funeral and all of that, and yet everything was done differently in, in many respects. And so even though grieving is tough, any way you stack it up, the type of gr grieving that we did, the way we had to approach all of that was different and that just made things harder because the social interaction and everything was limited. And it was two days after this day a year ago, my dad died. And he had been in the hospital five days, a non-COVID issue as well. But his health had been failing the last three days or so that he had been alive there in the hospital. But no one could go and see him except for one person. You know how that works, and it's still perhaps in hospitals doing that right now. Only one person was allowed. Of course, that was going to be my mom. So I've got several siblings. None of us could go and see dad those final days. And there's an emotional toll that is involved in all of that, especially when it ends with the person's death. And then you go through the whole process again, another funeral and everything that was involved. In, and, and so many relatives. Dad came from a very large family. But had you looked at the funeral in mom's house, Immediately following it, you would not have guessed it was a large family that he came from. And it was all because of the COVID context that everything was happening in. 
And so there's any of a number of ways the last 17 or 18 months, you know, have impacted people and been difficult for people. You know, we hear some of this terminology, you know, that uh, people are throwing around now, you know, in hopes that, okay, it's all behind us, we're moving forward. And so they say things like, we're returning to normal. But yet for a number of people, even if COVID just goes away completely right now, it'll never be normal again. Normal is not possible. If normal means the way it was 18 months ago before all this started, that is not possible. And that may be the case for your family because of this or that that has happened over the last year and a half. But again, it all serves to drive home this thought. Life is hard. And we've kind of seen that up close and personal here in this last year and a half. And the big question that, that kind of makes this all the more of a struggle, and it kind of goes through our mind, the question is, is why? As believers, if we are Christians, why? If God loves me, why isn't my life easier? Why am I going through what it is that I'm going through? If God is a shield and a protector, then why am I experiencing what it is that I'm experiencing right now? And why are my loved ones experiencing what they're experiencing? Yeah, that's a question that pandemic or not, gets asked a lot by people that are going through adversity. The rationale kind of goes like this. If I have accepted Christ and I'm a child of God, then God wants what is best for me. And since he wants what is best for me, then he's going to make my life pain-free. He's going to make my life as enjoyable as it can be. But it's not because I'm going through this grief right now. And so the conclusion has to be either God doesn't care about me or God is unable to do anything about it. Either one of those options isn't very pleasant. I guess there could be a third option you could add to it. Maybe God is upset at me and he's punishing me right now. This, this is just some of the, the, what seemingly feels like logical progression of thought that people go through. When they go through adversity and struggles and hardships in their life, either God doesn't care right now, or God is incapable of doing anything about this, or God is punishing me right now. There's more to it that we need to consider. And that's why I decided I wanted to use this Sunday to talk about this topic because I felt like it was timely. Because knowing full well what is going on in the congregation, knowing after almost a year and a half of COVID, knowing the families in our church that are dealing with cancer situations right now, um, knowing some of that, I felt like this is a very timely subject for us to touch on because the reality of the matter is according to the bible there are actually some benefits to hardship 
And that kind of seems like an oxymoron or something. You know, it doesn't really seem uh, correct, but it, it is true. But before I get into that, there's something else that I first want to talk about that I don't know that I've ever said it in the 20-some years that this church has been here. I don't think in a single sermon all of those years I've ever said it this way. We are living our lives in a war zone. Now, as I was thinking about this in preparation of some of the things I wanted to share today, this is the way that I decided I'm just going to put it out there. And I'm not trying to be sensational. Okay, sometimes, you know, when you listen to a video or you listen or you read, you know, even a Christian author, you know, on what he's writing, they can kind of sensationalize some of the topics that they're talking about. And that certainly is not my intent. And hopefully you'll appreciate that as I explain this a little bit further. Did you know that in the Bible, the devil is referred to as being the prince of the power of the air? That is a phrase that is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. The prince of the power of the air. But there's another phrase, too, I call to your attention, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it refers to the devil as being the god of this age. Now, that's God with a small g. Okay, he's not supreme, but, but yet he is a god of this age. That's right there in the verse in the Bible. A couple of phrases that uh, you may or may not have been aware of. But basically what they're building up to, what they're getting at, is that we live on a planet right now that is under siege by the devil. And that's the way the Bible presents this. For example, think back to one of the, the, the most classic example of all of someone experiencing how hard life is. You got to go back in the Old Testament and you go to Job. And everything that Job went through, I mean, there were 42 chapters devoted to telling his story. And, and it was rough. He had lost all of, all of his crops. He had lost all of his livestock. He had lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his children, his sons and daughters. They all died. What is more, Job lost his health on top of all of that. And then he had some friends come to comfort him, and you may recall how that ended up going. That wasn't that well because they spent, after an initial period of silence, they went through a period of time where they just kept pointing fingers and saying, well, this happened to you because of this. And, you know, you're basically getting what you deserve because of your sin. That's the short form of what it is that they were saying to him. So he really had, had a tough time. What you may not remember, though, is one of the early verses setting up the story. After it tells in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 that he was a man of integrity, a man who feared God and all of this, more so than anyone else in the land, after it sets all that up, we immediately jump into, you know, all this bad news he kept hearing about losing his livestock, losing his children, losing all of this. But in between all of that, there's a verse 
Job chapter 1, verse 7. And you see pretty much the same verse in the second chapter as well. It says, The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. That's an interesting statement. But if you couple it with passages like Ephesians 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says he's the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age, all of a sudden that kind of makes more sense what is being spoken of. And then we've got abundant other scripture to throw into the mix as well. You have something here that, that Paul said and this is the passage in Ephesians 6 where Paul ends up talking about uh, the armor of God and he refers to things like the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, um, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And, and we're at least to some degree familiar with those, the pieces of the armor. But what set all of that up was this statement. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, what, what Paul was drawing reference to in, in a manner of speaking is kind of like a perpetual um, spiritual war. That is going on. That the, the devil is heading up. In fact, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about um, some of the statements that Paul has made. Well, let's also look at what John says about this. In Revelation, um, John talks about how the devil lost a battle and was kicked out of heaven. Yay, heaven, celebrate. But woe to the earth. And this is the verse that says that. It says, therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea. For the devil has gone down to you with great fury. Because he knows he has a short time. And so now all of a sudden based on what John is saying. Is we kind of got to take a step back. And realize that the God of this age. Which is what the devil is referred to. In that one passage, the prince of the power of the air, which is what one of those other passages described the devil as being. He's filled with fury. So, so, so there's an added component to understanding his, his frame of mind. And so basically what we have working here is, is not only a perpetual spiritual war, but the fact that we are basically living our lives in the middle of it. Ever since the fall, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, things have not been the way that God designed for them to be. The spiritual warfare that's going on, it's not a small thing. People's eternal destiny is at stake. And that's what the message is of the Bible. This is why there's strong terminology being used multiple times. I've already told you what some of what Paul said. I've told you some of what Peter said. Well, let me share a little, or not Peter, but John. Now let me share a little bit of what Peter has to say about it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, this is what he's all about. He's filled with fury. He's looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So in that sense, it's not surprising that life seems hard sometimes, right? I mean, if all of these verses and what these verses are referring to are true, then we shouldn't be surprised when life feels like it's hard. Because the devil's all about doing just that and promoting that. Do you think that during World War II, life seemed kind of hard in places like France? I mean, when the Germans invaded? Or was it business as usual for all the people in France? No, it was hard. They were living in the middle of a war zone. Poland, Italy, yeah. You see, the Bible basically is saying the same sort of thing, except instead of it just being, um, you know, a, a, a physical thing, we're talking about it being a spiritual thing, but that doesn't make it less real in regards to what is happening and in regards to what the devil's intent is all about. Now, we're living in a world that the devil is basically standing opposed to everything that God stands for. He's all about deception and destruction. That's the name of the game. But for him, this is not a game. He's playing for keeps. If he can destroy your relationships, your marriage, within your family, he will do that. If he can destroy your relationship with God, he will do that. No wonder Jesus said, you know, not too long before he was arrested and ended up being crucified. He said this in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, having referenced Job and talking about the ordeal that Job went through uh, makes me want to be sure and explain uh, that there's a reason why God allows some of the stuff that is allowed that we experience in our life. The devil just couldn't go out and just forcibly do uh, all that stuff that he did. He kind of had to get, um, if you will, permission you know, from God. And when you read the first couple of chapters in Job, you see that, which I know immediately, you know, raises some questions in our mind. But the thing is that God is purposeful in what he is doing, even in that regards. And so I want to spend a little bit of time explaining some of the reasons that are behind adversities and hardships that we encounter in our life. And, and if I was going to try to be thorough on this, you know, I would have at least six or seven talking points, at least, that we would be going through. But, but instead, I want to give you a sampling of some of the main um, reasons that God allows hardship in our life. And one of those is to draw us to him. That this is behind his thinking is that he wants us to be closer to him. 
One of the immediate verses that comes into my mind is found in the longest chapter of the Bible. It's Psalm 119. And uh, this, this verse um, has spoke a lot to me over the years, well, ever since I had been sick in my 20s. Uh, it's Psalm 119, verse 67. It's a short verse. It says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. What's he saying there? I mean, it's only a few words, but yet it does a good job of speaking for itself. Before I went through the adversity that I went through in my life, I kind of was living according to my own set of rules. That's, that's what the psalmist is kind of saying. I knew what was best for me. I was making life choices that I felt were best for me. But then I was afflicted. And now I'm living differently. I'm living according to God's word. And so what the psalmist is saying is that, that through the adversity, he found himself being drawn closer to the Lord. And, you know, I, I, I saw that. I had the opportunity to witness that many times over the years. But the initial times were right within my own family. My older brother, um, he gave his life to Christ two years after I did. And, you know, and you know how younger brothers, older brothers... Younger brothers can't tell their older brothers anything, you know, and we had that one of those kind of relationships um, where if we were in dire need, we would do anything for each other, but we were anything but close, you know, and and so so when when I'm trying to share with him, you know, the good news of the gospel and stuff like that as a young Christian, um, you know, he really didn't want anything to do with it, but but uh, Mike went through a rough time. Mike went through a stretch of time where um, he was basically relying on the bottle to deal with the stress of his life and the disappointments of his life. And, uh, and if he didn't start his day that way, he always ended his day that way. He even describes himself as having been an alcoholic during, during that time and in, in the way that he was dealing with stuff. His marriage was on the rocks. Um, and it was, it was a significant struggle. But it was during all of that time that a friend of mine shared the gospel. And it flipped the switch in Mike's life. Mike was receptive to something that on earlier occasions he wasn't receptive to. And it was the turning point of his entire life. And now I call him not just a brother, but a brother in Christ. But it was the adversity of what he was going through, the unpleasantness of the struggle. That is what softened his heart for the gospel. I have a sister that I had tried many times, and this ended up happening several years later, but many times to share the gospel with her. And at times we seemed to get so close I thought, you know, we were that close. She always seemed to have a sensitive heart, but she would pull away right at the last second and, and would not, you know, make the all-important decision of embracing Christ. And, and, uh, and, and then there came a time after five years of marriage that her, her husband did, did to her 
some of the most painful, horrible things that can happen in a marriage. The kind of the level of betrayal that had happened. And she was just absolutely devastated. And like I said, she was always a sensitive person. And so she was devastated, you know, on a deeper level than what someone like me perhaps would have been. It was rough. And even my mom called me, and mom never made long-distance phone calls. Even she's got a cell phone now, and she still seldom ever does it. She does it by accident, I guess, you know, about every other week. But uh, uh, so I don't count those. But uh, she called me. I was living two states away. and says, is there any way you can go to your sister? She knew that I knew what was going on. And I was real curious that mom was asking me. Because uh, I think mom knew what I was going to do when I got there. I mean, I met with my sister. I met with her husband to try to see if there was any way that this marriage could be saved. Uh, And when I was seeing some of the stuff that I was seeing from him, uh, I knew the likelihood was very, very little hope for the marriage and so I started sharing with Gail the message of God's love and she was receptive kind of like she had indicated on previous times but this time she didn't put the brakes on this time her heart was so softened she embraced it and she gave her life to Christ and her life has never been the same since that time I can talk about my other sister. Her story is more of the party scene. And similar things. And ended up having a car wreck down in Dallas. One that could have been fatal. But it was part of what caused her to open her eyes going through that. Yeah, God is able to use adversity in our lives to open our eyes and to draw us closer to him. God does that. He's done that within my own family and he's done that within the lives of many other people that I've seen over the years and including some of you that are are gathered here today. You know, this, this is kind of uh, along the lines of something Paul referred to, except in this context, Paul isn't talking about someone outside of Christ. He's talking about himself and some of his companions. God uses the same principle in regards to believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, basically what Paul is saying is what they experienced when they were in Asia caused them to be all the more reliant upon God, closer to God than they had ever been before. And isn't this kind of what the prodigal son in Luke 15, you know, who felt like he was living uh, with a straitjacket in his dad's house and he was sick and tired of being under his dad's authority. He knew better. He wanted to do 
um, what he wanted to do. He wanted to be out on his own, so he demands his share of the inheritance. He goes out and he squanders it with loose living, and, and eventually he finds himself in a desperate situation. He hires himself out to feed pigs, which in a Jewish context is a pretty significant statement. It's basically saying that he hit rock bottom. He's even envious of what it is that the pigs are eating, and it is at that moment the text in Luke 15 says he came to his senses. His heart was softened. And he knows the right thing to do is to return. To return to his father. People don't like um, to hear this, but I certainly believe it is true. Our comfort is not God's number one concern in life. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you or I to be comfortable. But what I am saying is that's not his primary concern. There's something way more important than that. And that is where you stand with him. That is his primary concern. Going back to Job one last time. You know, after Job had gone through everything where he lost his family, his children, he lost livestock and crops and all of this kind of stuff. And then he went through that thing where his friends kept accusing him of wrongdoing and all of that. And he went through an extended sickness. And then after he came out the other side of all of that and he was healthy again and he and his wife started having children again and he was in a better place at the very tail end, the final chapter of the book of Job, we get great insight into what's going on inside of Job when he says this, my eyes had, my, or my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He basically was saying, and remember how he was described at the beginning in chapter one as a man of integrity, he was a man who feared God. But yet Job is looking back on it all and he's saying, I thought I knew you, but I did not like I know you now. What had changed? All the suffering he had gone through. You see, he was closer to God now. Here's something else that God does with our hardship, how God works in our hardship. He uses it to mature us. Um, this is one of those passages of scripture that kind of has a way of making us grimace a little bit. I know it did for me back in 1984 when someone in a sympathy get well card, they wrote this verse in there and I knew full well what the verse said, but it really wasn't what I wanted to, you know, you know, focus my thoughts on at the time because of the ordeal that I was going through. But here it is, James chapter 1. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, what that passage of scripture is telling us is that hard times are not only inevitable, but they are invaluable in what they accomplish in our life. Because it is the hardships, the adversity that we go through in life that helps build character in our life. 
The primary way for character and patience and perseverance and, and maturity to be hammered out in our life is not through reading a book. I don't want to discourage you from reading a good Christian book. But that's not the primary way that character is going to be developed in your life. The primary way for character and patience and perseverance to be hammered out in your life is not through attending a class. And if you can attend a class that is going to help you develop the under, a better understanding of the Bible and how God works and stuff like that, go for it. But that's not the primary way. It's not through praying a prayer. There's nothing wrong with reading a Christian book or uh, attending um, a class or Christian support group of some kind. There's nothing wrong with saying a prayer. But the primary way that God develops character in the lives of his people is through adversity. It's through the struggles of life. Even in the Old Testament, that's brought to light in passages like Isaiah 48 where it says, I have refined you, but not with silver. I have tested you in the furnace of suffering. And naturally, you think of the analogy that's being referenced here is the way you purify silver is through fire and you get the impurities out of it. Well, what this passage, this statement that the Lord is making here is saying is that it's through adversity that he gets the impurities out of our life and he refines us. So maturing us, growing us, developing character in us, that's one of the benefits. A third one is equipping us. Again, going back to uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, in chapter 1 of his second letter, he says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. It's an interesting statement there. It says, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that, what? So that we'll be comforted. That's not what it says. I mean, that happens. He comforts us so we'll be comforted. But that's not an end in itself. That's what this verse is bringing to light. He comforts us not only so that we can be comforted, but so that we then in turn can bring comfort into the lives of others. You see, the point is, if you have been down a certain road, what that serves to do is it helps to soften your heart toward other people experiencing the same thing. So if you've had to battle cancer in your life and then you find out that someone at work has been diagnosed with the same kind of cancer that you had had, guess what? Your heart is going to jump out of your chest for them. You're going to want to be a support. You're going to want to be a comfort. You're going to want to be, you know, a help in any way to them. If, if, you, if you have gone through radiation or chemotherapy treatments and you find out that someone else is going to go through that, then all of a sudden your heart, is really going to feel for them, especially if you have been through that yourself. If you've experienced a, um, a divorce, if you've experienced a miscarriage, I mean, the list can go on and on. If you've experienced 
the death of a child. Then what that serves to do is it softens your heart and it creates a, a more of a, an awareness of, of those that are around you that end up having uh, the same kind of an ordeal that they're trying to go through and that you want to reach out to them and you want to help them. You want to pray for them. You want to encourage them in whatever way that you possibly can. And so the point of the matter is some of you that are in this room right now or are listening online, you have been equipped in a very specific way to minister to others. Now, that's not to say that you cannot minister to someone who is going through an ordeal you haven't experienced, but you've just been equipped on a heightened level if it is something you've experienced. And God wants you to reach out and to minister to them. There's more that we could be talking about, you know, regarding all of this, but I, I think that's a good starter list of how God uses hardship. He uses it to draw us closer to him. He uses it to help mature us. He uses it to, to help equip us. You know, it, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. You know, the very things that Satan looks at as being weapons, God uses as a tool, you know, to do a good work in our life. Our normal reaction to hardship is to get all hot and bothered by whatever it is that we're encountering. I know that's usually my reaction if if I'm getting a setback in health or whatever the deal is, you know, then then yeah, that can really be irritating. We can easily get all hot and bothered by it. And part of the reason for that is we see no purpose in it. We see that it is or we feel that it is something to be avoided at all costs. We struggle with understanding why God isn't doing something about it. But the reality of the matter is God is doing something. And that's just the point of what it is that we're talking about here today. God is doing something. God hasn't abandoned us. Yeah, life is hard. It is hard. Some of you right now are going through a period of time in your life where, man, you're tuned into that reality in a major way. For others of you, um, you know, and I'm not a prophet in saying this, but for others of you, it may be two or three or four weeks from now, and you're going to realize in a whole new way how hard life can be. And that's the nature of life. And that's the whole point of what I was saying in the early part of this message. You don't need to have an encounter with a seven-foot cockroach to realize life is hard. If you haven't realized it in your own life, just open your eyes and look in the lives of others. And you'll see the reality of that. But you know, in, in another sense, all of that serves as a reminder that this isn't your home, this isn't my home. This world that we're living in, this isn't permanent. These bodies that we're inhabiting, you know, I was talking to one fellow upstairs, you know, before the service started, and I said, okay, I just want to know how you're doing. And so sometimes when I ask this question, I try to do it in creative ways, you know, instead of getting the standard, oh, I'm fine or okay or, you know, those kind of responses. And so I said, are you 80%? of what you used to be. And he goes, not hardly. Are you 65%? Or maybe I said 
He goes, I'm barely 50% of where I was. You know, the body that he inhabits, it's not a permanent body. This body that I'm in isn't, and neither is the one that you're in. And the kind of adversity and stuff that we experience in life, sometimes it helps remind us of that. That our ultimate home, it's on the horizon. And every day of life, we're that much closer to it. We're going to have our time of communion now, and I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I want to encourage you to reflect on some of these things that we've talked about here today. To talk and just to think about, you know, some of what God is trying to do perhaps in your life right now. Even in the midst of the ugliness of whatever it is that may be playing out in your life. And just ask him through his spirit to do a good work. The reality of the matter is that Jesus did his share of suffering and then some. You know, in going to the cross and doing that voluntarily, it could have been avoided. Every step of the way, he could have stepped aside and stepped away from it. But he chose not to. Because he knew you needed him to do what he was about to do. I needed him to do that. And it's during this time of communion, we take the bread, we eat at the cup, we drink it. We're reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus. We're reminded the fact that he willingly, voluntarily suffered for us. Because he knew that's what we needed most. It's a time for us to reflect and to be grateful for a Savior who cared. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for just helping us to appreciate in, in greater ways that you are a God that cares and you're involved in our lives. Forgive us for when we doubt that. We love you. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that you love us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.